0: Welcome to the Bend ICOC podcast, where we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Don't forget to leave us a review and a rating, and thank you very much for listening. Thank you for Jesus and all the, the wonderful things he has given us. We're speaking on that today. In such a great section, one thing Jesus says is that for us who are far off, we've been brought near, just like we're near this morning. So Thank you for being here Excited that we're all here to talk about what Jesus has done for us. I'll borrow the clicker here. And, you know, he also mentions that he's torn down this wall of hostility, so there's nothing to fear today on Halloween. So that can encourage us right from the start. And he he talks about how we we come together as one new humanity. We begin to see in this section of Ephesians chapter 2, Jesus' vision for the church. So we may have come in the door this morning with a preconceived notion of what church is, or a cultural notion, or a personal notion, but we don't have to reinvent the wheel on what church is. We can just look to this book and Jesus' vision of what the church should be. Jesus' church. Whether you wore a costume today, didn't wear a costume, in Jesus' Church. One new humanity is quite a a concept that he brings up. That's why I I titled it here today. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. If you turn your Bibles over there. Everybody with me so far? Yeah. Feeling all right. You don't have to be afraid. Remember, we're encouraged. There's there's no hostility. We're going to read about that here. But by way of review, you know, half of us were gone at a marriage retreat last weekend, experiencing our sister churches from all over Oregon and fellowshipping with them. I heard it was a great time. I'm thankful that everyone got to travel over there safely and come back. And we had even even beyond Oregon, our sister church up in Bellingham sent down their preacher, Luke Donatello, so he got to give us a message last week. That was great. And he spoke about this passage to give us a running start today. It says there, starting in verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you at that time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You get that dual remember there. Remember, remember, this is who you once were, but not anymore. Now by the work of Jesus, you are becoming the church. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And it's interesting, actually, in, in verse 12 there, well, you don't have the number there, but where he says, Remember that you at one time were separated from Christ, alienated. You get the Greek there. There's a word for where we get our modern day word, atheist. To be without God. To be unbelieving. To not acknowledge that there's a God. It says over in Romans 9, 4 through 5. He's talking about all these things that at one time we did not have. Romans 9. he says the people of Israel... What they do have, theirs is the adoption of sonship, theirs is divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all and forever praised. So that's our context. There's people who have all of those things. And attention with these other people coming along saying, hey, we want to be included in that, please. And by the blood of Jesus, that's possible. Amen? And that's quite a tension, a serious tension. Took them quite a while to realize that reality, that not just the Jews have the law or the patriarchs, that we can come to Jesus and have that together. It's for that reason, just to recap from last week, Luke said from this passage, remember those who are still without hope in the world. There are still people who don't have that. Mm-hmm. They can have that, but they need, by the blood of Christ, to have the peace of Christ, to be reconciled to Him. Remember them, and then for ourselves, remember what we've been given by having communion weekly. That was Luke's lesson last week. Now, a, a few questions, we, we start framing this more. We're going to talk about what the church is not and what the church is today. And we're, we're going to talk about a bit of this tension because I, I have all these questions that bubble up when I face a passage like this. Because Luke also claimed, he said, hey, any two disciples, if they're a disciple of Jesus, they are united in Christ, no matter their ethnicity. Amen. Amen. And I hear that I go. That's awesome. So then, why do we still have such a problem with that today? If that's Jesus's vision for the church, and how is that possible? Because I'm still my ethnicity, and they're their ethnicity, and what I still have this construct in my head. You know, do, do the eyes of my heart just need to be opened more, or how much do I need to realize this reality? Is it just a spiritual thing? How can we? Live this to the fullest right now and presently in God's church. And if we're, if we're all one body, as Paul is about to claim, then how is it possible that we walk away from each other in the church? And if Jesus has brought down the dividing wall of hostility, in passages we're about to go into today, then why are we still so hostile towards each other, and even at times still hostile towards God? Why do I still struggle with this? Why am I not just totally sanctified yet? I want to get over that. Right? Because we've been, we've gone from a place of being separated from Christ to being in Christ. Mm -hmm. And we want to live that out as best as possible. Not disagreeing with each other, but being one body. People people have issues in the church today. I got some issues in the church today. In Jesus' church even, we can have issues in the church today. There's a couple of articles that came out this week that I wanted to to highlight. This is to, again, paint the picture of what the church is not, before going into Paul's words of what the church is. Is So we, some of these issues have really been exacerbated, brought to light. Fault lines have bubbled up to the surface by 2020, by COVID. Every time you turn on the news, you can see this. Masked and unmasked people. We got insurrection issues, riot issues, race issues, Christian nationalism issues, extremes in every direction and it, it reveals that perhaps not so many Christians are as deeply rooted in Jesus as we thought we were but perhaps our, our faith was planted in a, a shallow place in the church and now the Sun has come out and scorched us and disciplined us and it turns out our our roots and our faith and our relationships weren't that deep and now they've withered and splintered and are being blown in every direction by every wind of teaching. We want to be more rooted than that, amen? From an article this week, I was just reading that a recent study by Barnes said 47% of Christian millennials said that it was wrong to share your faith with someone and try to convert them to your belief system. So said, no, that's not a good idea. But that's completely antithetical to Jesus' heart and mission that we can all be one, united in him. That's a huge statistic. We seem to think at times that a better alternative is just to be comfortable and gather with people who are a lot like us, look like us, worship like us, and agree with us, and we call that unity And that seems better than approaching people who think differently. So how do we live that out in this tension? Good, positive differences like different gifts that we read about in Ephesians chapter 4. And living those out in the church. So if we have a comfortable unity of, hey, you're just like me, we don't really need the Holy Spirit to achieve unity there can do that ourselves pretty easily on any day of the week. Just this morning in New York Magazine, the title read Are, are Conservative Christians the Real Secularists Now? It's an alarm many people are raising. I know I'm getting kind of deep and critical very quickly here. It's not the heart to be critical. But it is setting it up to begin talking about these principles that transcend these issues. Are conservative Christians the real secularists now? In The Atlantic last week, the title read, The Evangelical Church is Breaking Apart. Christians Must Reclaim Jesus from His Church. An evangelical, that's a great theological term for, hey, you're sound and you're rooted in the gospel, but some people have hijacked that term to make it a little closer to consumer American cultural Christianity. Some highlights from this article. They say, when the Christian faith is politicized, churches become repositories, not of grace, but of grievances, Places where tribal identities are reinforced, where fears are nurtured, and where aggression and nastiness are sacralized. And this is, this is from a person writing for The Atlantic. Um, they, they interviewed seminaries and pastors all over the nation. They said this, what we're seeing is massive discipleship failure caused by massive catechism failure. The church in the U.S. over the last five decades has failed from its adher- to form its adherence into disciples of Jesus, so there is a great hollowness. All that is needed to cause the implosion that we have seen was sufficiently provocative stimulus, and that stimulus came. Culture has catechized more than the church. This article mentions the Barna Group, again, found that 29% of pastors said this last year that they've given real serious consideration to leaving the church. Leaving the mini- Not leaving the church, sorry, leaving the ministry within the last year. From the article, what we're dealing with, not in all cases, of course, but in far too many, is political identity, cultural anxieties, anti-intellectualism, Ethnic nationalism, resentments, grievances, all dressed up as Christianity. That's where the article concludes. Well, my highlights of the article. You can go read it in The Atlantic. We're going to go to the Bible today. That's from our culture and the world. But I like that ending highlight that many have dressed up as Christianity. I don't want to do dress up Christianity or play church. I don't think any of us do. We all want to be in Jesus' church. Ironically, it is Halloween, and I'll dress up later tonight. But some have been playing at Christian Halloween for far too long and for far too many. It's only one day of the year. Some, it's our favorite day we got to stop playing dress-up with our faith. we got to realize that we've been clothed with Christ. Amen? Well, let's go to our Bible now. That's our culture. Let's look at our Bible and look at our key. And the church said? Amen. Yeah. Alright. I want to to get the amens rolling there. (laughs) Not the hypothetical amens. For he himself, verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 2. Doing a lot of reading so far. Those articles, they can get me angry. I can start groaning. I want to do something about it. So let's go to the word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That's a beautiful picture. I love meeting up with some of the men D-Times this week. and I kind of get to to cheat because we're talking through Ephesians. So I get to steal all of their ideas and just preach about it. Thank you, Anthony. Man, we've been reconciled to Christ and each other. Look at all the ones highlighted right here. One new person, one body, one spirit created in himself. Jew and Gentile, now one person. In Jesus, this is how you go about disciple making and not disciple faking. This is how you go about not dressing up as a Christian, but being clothed in Christ. I read one more sentiment this week, and this is the last one. In fact, I'll just paraphrase it, but he said that there's a seeker generation from the 60s that bled into the 90s that had this basic assumption that people had a God-sized hole in their heart, and they were looking for something to fill it. So they said, hey, the church can fill this, and now it's the assumption. If I go to church, And people call me to live a higher, more moral life, then I'll be happier. There's been a major worldview shift where that's no longer the assumption out there. That the church is a good place that'll bring a good thing into my life. Those days are mostly over. For the idea of the American church. It's not that people just do not understand what the church is offering. It's that what they think the church is offering is vastly inferior, immoral, and oppressive. That gives me some hostility. <laughs> In order to achieve this oneness, Paul says this hostility has to be removed. It's repeated here twice. What's repeated is important. I'm so thankful to have that oneness in the church where we can be a family, where we can be one body, all reconciled to Christ, to each other. Jesus isn't just calling us to like coexist and slightly tolerate each other. He's calling us to be deep with each other, be family, be empathetic, be compassionate with each other. He wants us to go all the way all the way to family. That's a high calling. It can only happen under Jesus. All the way. Let me ask you this what relationships do you have in the kingdom that you would likely never have outside of the kingdom? And don't be the guy in the back that's like, nobody here. <laughs> I am so thankful for some relationships that have happened because of God's kingdom and his church. I think one of my very first mentors, Gabe Reed, I would have had not very much to do with him because he was African American. But in the context of the church, we had a deep relationship, meeting up multiple times a week, counseling each other, getting direction from each other, loving one another. I have a discipling relationship for a while with a man named Eugene. He's a professional MMA fighter, lived in LA. I'm not a professional MMA fighter. But in the church, we can have relationships with people who are not like us. We can have a relationship with people like Kelly Boyd, another spiritual mentor. Not my age, not my generation. In this room, we have different generations and can have relationships with each other. I could go on and on with these examples, but what is that example for you? What relationships would you not have if it was not for Jesus Christ? We got to begin thinking about the work Jesus has done and have a gratitude for that. And sometimes I get to a place where I go, okay, would these people have a relationship with me? Would they be my friend if I wasn't in this church organization? You know, do they value me as a person beyond just my usefulness to the institution? The answer is, disciples, made Jesus, Lord, is absolutely yes. we got to absolutely love each other, our neighbors, people in the church, everyone, and value them. But what I really love and really wanna see is this blood of Christ, is this peace of Christ ruling in their hearts, because that's the only way we can have this deep, deep family and deep unity is through him. I desperately want people to have that. People need to feel welcome to that and welcome to this family if they're ever going to experience that. Verse 16, and I might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. How welcome do others feel to this family, to you as an individual? If our churches are still divided in any way, along racial, cultural lines, I think Paul and Jesus would say our gospel Our grasp of the cross itself might be called into question. We all have to question ourselves. How do we deal with that hostility? And how do we deal with, man, I thought Jesus took this away and Jesus did all of this work. Well, What is my part? If Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood and purchased the church and tore down this dividing wall of hostility, then what are you going to do about this hostility? What is your part to play? And where walls are being built up in the church, maybe even in this room, I would say this, even in my marriage, walls can be built up. (laughs) Even between husband and wife, one flesh union, I can... Every single day, I got to say, what am I doing to tear down the walls? Out of gratitude for Jesus tearing down a real wall right here. Amen? Mm. Veronica's amen. <laughs> now, just a little more context. Again, back to the Jew-Gentile ethnicity and the hostility here. Paul is writing this. Let's just think about where he's writing it from under house arrest in Rome. What is he arrested for? Well, he's awaiting trial, falsely accused, for all the things he's doing with the Gentiles. Of taking Gentiles into the temple, taking them past the literal wall of separation, dividing Jew and Gentile. Paul makes it clear here that with Jesus, That wall between Jew and Gentile is gone. Jesus makes it gone. Jesus died on the cross to eliminate that hostility. What are we doing to eliminate it between each of us? Let me ask this for you. Have you ever felt like you're on the other side of that wall? Have you ever felt like a a foreigner in the fellowship? I have. I think we all have. And because we all have, then beyond ourselves, when other people might feel like a foreigner in the fellowship, how can you make them feel welcome? How can you bring them in? Amen. That he says he's abolished the law here, with all of its ordinances. And we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but. Man, go to Romans 6, Romans 10. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. We're thankful for that. Mm -hmm. Romans 10. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. We don't have to seek salvation on the grounds of our obedience to the law. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Now... I get to nerd out for a minute here, and then we're going to get back to the gospel and back to the peace of Jesus Christ. And uh, I want to talk about this tension that I think is a very useful tool as we move through the rest of the book of Ephesians. Bringing down that wall of hostility. Chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians, Paul's going to keep talking about Jew and Gentile. He's going to talk about male and female. He's going to talk about slave and master. he's going to talk about I'm probably forgetting a few parents and children all of these places where walls can easily be built up. Mm-hmm. And he's going to give very specific instructions for how to maintain healthy distinctions and healthy unity, as we see in this passage. But I' look here, all of this in himself in Jesus Christ. He might. I might. I'm like, what does he mean, (laughs) might? And I think we can have a lot of assurance in that. Don't let that throw you off or give you any sense of insecurity. But it comes back to something I spoke of a couple weeks ago. In our salvation, there is a now and not yet. That's the tool. The tool of now and not yet. Like the kingdom of God. Some parts of it are now, some parts of it are not yet. Eschatology is a fancy word. I thought of it best explained like this, to talk about the mind of God, and I'm not an expert on eschatology, but if you've seen this popular meme out there, I think it's popular, maybe it's just algorithm giving it only to me in this room. (laughs) Right from the office, they give um, the boss two identical pictures and they say, hey, we need you to find the difference. So he spends hours on it, but they're, they're the same picture. If you heard the announcement this last week, Facebook said, oh, we're changing our name to to Meta, but not just yet. So for a week there, it was Facebook in a sense, but it was also not yet Meta, this new company. The already and the not yet, and for just a week or two there, we existed in that tension. Where do we see that in Scripture? A few places. And we're really clued into it by that phrase there, in Christ. When you see that, it's usually a jumping point into some of this eschatology. And it's how we can help make sense of, man, what does it mean to be in Christ? That's kind of weird. Well, already and not yet. We get a sense of it with our redemption. In verse 7 of chapter 1, in him we have redemption through his blood. But then in Ephesians 1.14, in Ephesians 430, it talks about a coming day of redemption for us. And thus it's not yet here. Mm-hmm. Same with Colossians 1:14, Romans 8.23, where we're redeemed, but not yet fully redeemed. Not yet that day of redemption. Heirship yes. and inheritance, that's an already and not yet that we see in the book of Ephesians. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go too in-depth on this tool, but just introducing it because it'll come up again and again and again in Ephesians. And if we don't talk about this tool, we're going to be greatly confused as we read through the book of Ephesians. Concept of heirship and inheritance, partaking of the now but not yet. For example, Ephesians 1.14, Paul teaches, hey, we've been given the Holy Spirit. He's a deposit, guarantee of our inheritance. But then just four verses later, Paul prays that, hey, someday we might know the hope of his glorious inheritance, a future thing. Titus 3.7. Paul teaches, hey, we're justified by his grace so that we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Then in the next chapter of Ephesians, verse 7. It says, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together, co-heirs, already and not yet. It's between old creation, new creation. Jesus comes on the scene and inaugurates this, where we are right now, tension. This groaning, this uncomfortable place where we still have to deal with our sin and imperfection and hostility. I find it helpful to go here and go to Galatians 3 to talk about racial reconciliation. And we can't just hijack these passages to talk about reconciliation without talking about Jesus Christ. Amen. It's by him that this happens. And the important thing to realize with this tool, with this eschatology, with this now and not yet, is not going to extremes with it. Not underrealizing it, and not overrealizing it. For example, to, to make it a little practical, I'm a husband, and I'm a man, but someday in heaven, marriage is going to be dissolved away. And in some strange sense, I don't know what it'll look like, but I'll be the bride of Christ. And that's a little different than who I am as a man right now. That's a little not yet for me. So I don't want to over-realize the now and not yet and say, hey, I, you know, maybe I'm not a husband, maybe I'm not a man. I don't want to get too confused there. Just as an example. Galatians 3. And I love it because this also speaks about the law. It also speaks about our salvation. And this is the context of salvation being in Christ. But it also speaks of the ethnicity and our equality with one another. The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there's the clothed in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you, like Isaac, are children of promise. That's where that wall really gets torn down. That wall of sin and the sense of salvation, that wall of hostility and the sense of towards one another. By the work of Jesus Christ. Paul teaches that everyone, all people who have been baptized into Christ, who have clothed themselves with Christ, they are all one in Christ. It's by that being in Christ that we have that oneness. So our inheritance, our salvation, it transcends any ethnic, cultural, gender, any kind of barrier that we would want to put there. Some aspects of that are still in process working towards the goal. We still have some of that hostility. We're still in this tension until Christ comes back. And that's why where we got to go to scripture with discernment on how Paul says we are to live in this current age. And what Jesus has instituted and redeemed. So when we read in Ephesians things like authority, Paul says, hey, that's a loving and benevolent authority. And when we see a distinction of slave and free, we go to the words of Paul. Philemon 16 says, hey, you're more than a slave. You are a dear brother. And he condemns slaveholders. We've got to remember this tool as we begin to talk about our relationships in the church and how we can be humble in each and every one of them. Not overrealizing or underrealizing the now and not yet. That's my nerdy thing. Amen. Amen. The now and not yet. It'll it'll come up and we'll get into that even more deeper, probably on a midweek, not on a Sunday morning. We don't want to overrealize or underrealize. Just to make it practical and put it into practice, then. To get out of the nerdiness. Each of us as individuals, where we're broken or putting up walls, where we're underrealizing that eschatology, where we're saying, hey, maybe I want to be domineering towards other people. We can't have that and have Jesus as our Lord. God's kingdom is already and not yet invading this old creation. Because of that, we're all still groaning, waiting, and dealing with each other. And how does all of that oneness, how is that all going to be accomplished By bringing it back to Jesus. That's where Paul starts. Before giving the instructions, Ephesians 4 through 6. We got to start with that equality and that oneness and that only being possible. Look at what it says. Right from the Bible. The Bible says, how? By the blood of Christ, in his flesh, through the cross, through him. You don't get that oneness without Jesus, without his sacrifice. Four times it's detailed, but this is by him. Galatians 2, 20, 21 says, if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Christ died so we could be one. How does your life reflect that? His sacrifice and his lordship. How do you see his church, his bride, he established by that sacrifice. We died to the law so we could be justified by him. Righteousness is through his death, not by keeping the law. Amen? We can't hijack this text from Jesus. We'd have to downplay the blood of Christ, we'd have to downplay the cross of Christ. We'd have to downplay the true peace of Jesus reigning in our hearts, and that's where we need to start. I asked that question a couple times before, do others feel welcome in this family? So, if we want them to experience the peace of Jesus, we've got to let them know of that grace of Jesus. There's an acronym out there of what SHANE stands for. And it's what shame stands for, should have already mastered everything. Is that what we expect from each other? Because that would be over-realizing the now and not yet. We're not perfect yet. We treat each other that way. We're going to shame each other. We're going to put up a wall of hostility. We're not going to welcome each other into this peace that Jesus offers. This is the good news. This is the gospel. And this is what makes possible Jesus' vision for the church that he wants today. We can't hijack it away from Jesus. And bring that into communion. If you haven't grabbed your communion cup in the back there. Reconciliation with God, with each other, is only possible by him. As it says in conclusion there, just to get back in the context and really be rooted in this verse,
1: we both have access
0: in one spirit to the Father. How am I going to take down this dividing wall, not shame other people, in this present age, in this tension, rely on his one spirit? That spirit that's a guarantee for us, a down payment for us in chapter one, giving us gratitude. That spirit that in chapter one gives us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, the very agent of knowing God and having illumination. That spirit that in chapter three says it strengthens us by his spirit to keep going. Mm -hmm. And that spirit that by chapter four says we can have unity with each other by his spirit. Mm -hmm. We can only get rid of that wall of separation by humbly responding his Spirit and His grace. And I think we can only truly be humble if we choose to respond to His grace and His Spirit. Stop playing the Christian dress up. And don't under realize nor over realize that you've been clothed in Christ. That's how we're to dress. Amen, church? Let's go to Father in a word of prayer. Father God, we see so many things in this passage. We see some lofty things of already and not yet, but God, we see some clear things of the call to already have a commitment, not a perfection to unity. And God, we, we ask for forgiveness where for we haven't upheld that, where we've held up walls rather than tearing them down, rather than following your example of tearing down hostilities. God, we apologize for any way that we've been disciple-faking rather than disciple-making. God, we We wanna live out your vision for the church. We wanna have that one spirit in you. Lord, we're completely humbled by your vision of the church because it's only by you that it's possible. God, we just thank you for your grace, for allowing that, for your sacrifice. Help us to respond in humility. Treating each other as your co-heirs. And Lord, we thank you for your inheritance. We thank you for your redemption. We thank you for that heirship. So we take this bread representing your body, this juice representing your blood. As it's said in this very passage, remember, remember. We remember who we once were and that we were far off. And we thank you that by your blood we've been brought here. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. It would mean so much to us if you were to leave us a review and a rating for our podcast so that this message can reach others. Thank you.